Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This episode is part two to our roundtable book discussion on the book, The Happiness Advantage. If you missed the first part, where myself and, and three of my amazing colleagues come together and talk about the first couple of principles to the happiness advantage, go back, check it out. The links are in the show notes. Give it a listen. And if you haven't listened to it, you're not out anything. You can jump right into this episode, hear what we have to talk about, and go back and listen later. But this is a part of our coffee and chapters and conversation series that we have where each month we're talking about a different book and so you can head to the links in the show notes take a listen to uh, the previous episode of the happiness advantage as well as take a look at the upcoming books and if you're interested feel free to reach out we'd love to put you um, into the roundtable discussion to get your thoughts captured on the podcast but without further ado let's jump into this show with my good friends lisa hawker and rachel anderson and myself as we continue to talk about the book the happy advantage especially this time of year this is vital stuff for us to make sure we've got our head right we're focused on things that are important and more important the things that we can control enjoy woke up at six o'clock in the morning chilling with coffee mugs me and coffee chugs talking education all across the nation pushing boundaries thinking innovation Aaron Mauer outside the box thinker here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker living on the edge of chaos born insane listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring one of the top teachers in Iowa word is born here to show the world that there's more here than corn chaos All right, so let's get into uh, the discussion here of the happiness advantages. Those of you, as you already know, have already been, been talked about. If you missed the first two principles in the first episode of this podcast, you need to go back and check that out. So in this episode here, we're going to be covering principles three through seven in kind of a, a more rapid right here so we have time to get through them all. And, and a lot of the talking before the recording that we had here with, with Lisa and Rachel was, you know, a lot of these do start to blend together. And so I think you're going to start to see some patterns, which is always the goal of any well-written book and idea that the principles aren't so standalone. They do kind of blur together. And so if we take a look at the first one that we want to look at here is, is principle three, the Tetris, the Tetris effect, um, which for me personally, I got super excited because I've spent countless hours, probably more hours than I care to admit, playing Tetris. Um, and so while this is not necessarily about the game, there's lots of parallels about how we think about this with not just our happiness, but our overall well-being. Mm -hmm. But for the context, the principle itself states that when our brains get stuck in a pattern that focuses on stress, negativity, and failure, we set ourselves up to fail. And this principle teaches us how to retrain our brains to spot patterns of possibility so we can see and seize opportunity wherever we look. And so I'm just going to open it right up to you two, because um, I already know some of my own thoughts, but I'm really intrigued by yours. As you were reading through this principle, and, and maybe you've had some time to even reflect on since the last podcast, uh, what resonated with you? What, what ideas did you have coming from this particular effect? Um, well, this is Lisa. So nice to see you again, podcast listeners. But I really appreciated this chapter because um, it really kind of gave I guess, reason to why people think the way they do. And, you know, our brain is a pattern-seeking device. And so in some ways, I think our generation and our culture right now, we are just trained to look for the, the negative stuff, right? So when you start thinking in that way, that, um, that is the Tetris effect. It's this idea of if you have a negative viewpoint or you start thinking negatively about something else, that that's basically what ends up happening. Then all the other pieces that you're looking for to fill in your Tetris 
is are negative, right? Um, and I definitely, I think, am that kind of person that tends to see failure first. I tend to notice the negatives instead of celebrating the positives in general. Um, so just seeing that the Tetris effect, um, which really the idea behind it is that you can train your brain to capitalize on possibility. So I, that was a really great descriptor for me. Um, and that this concept has three drivers, happiness, gratitude, and optimism. So, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about in this book is like, do you have a gratitude journal? Like, how do you purposefully start your day um, with gratitude and finding things that are positive and good for you? And, and if you do that, then you tend to start your day with an optimistic viewpoint, right? And so um, that was just really good for me. And also just, again, this idea of neuroplasticity, like we can rewire our brain, we can retrain our brain. Um, and so a way to begin to rewire toward a positive Tetris effect is to start practicing gratitude and mindfulness. Um, try to look for that optimistic point of view um, and, and really be cognizant of it to start overriding that negative thought pattern. You know, you were mentioning um, the brain and how, this is Rachel, hi again. <laughs> um, you mentioned how, um, you know, you tra your brain is trained and, and um, there was an interesting discussion in the book about um, the experiment of closing your eyes and focusing in on a color. And then when you look around, you open your eyes and you're more, adapt you're more apt to seeing that color. Um, an example I have of that is um, I got a new car and it's it was a kind of a brand that not everybody drove, at least I thought, and then my friend kept saying she's seeing that car everywhere she goes. And I'm like, no, that's probably just because I got it that you're recognizing that. But um, yeah, it's it, it's you, you're you're setting yourself up to see something when your brain is in that mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I, and it's funny, I actually did that experiment with my children. So um, my daughter, not going to go into all details, is just kind of in a dark place and has been uh, for some things in life. And so I was trying to help her, like, how do we, I read this, and I'm doing this myself, like I actually started a gratitude journal this year, and every morning I write, I am grateful for, I'm trying to just do one line, I'm not trying to write my life, I'm not trying to burn myself out, and I'm really finding that for me personally, like it starts my day in the right light. Mm -hmm. um, but my daughter, she just sees, she's just seeing the, the wrong in everything in life. And, and maybe that's just part of, of seventh, seventh grade. I think we, we just, everything, we're cynical of everything. But uh, we, I did this study with her and we did it and it was crazy. Just in our living room, we did like the color red and just all of a sudden like we noticed like red shirts in a crowd, this basketball game we were watching on TV, you know, and just trying to help her see like whatever we put our focus on, mm -hmm. you know, we can actually control these things. And I keep trying to bring this up, and but the hard part is that I like, like I honestly think, and not that like I'm a clinical psychologist or anything like that, but like I, in my core belief, she wants to see the positive, the happy. One thing that I kept going through this, where I mean, I'm older, I'm, I'm wiser through my own mistakes and learning. Like I feel like I struggle with this. I'm still making it happen, but like, what are the supports to do that? Because I think she doesn't wake up and go boy, I'm just going to find everything I hate in life. Like, mm -hmm. I, I just don't think that's what, I think she wants to see the rainbow and yeah. she can't. So one thing I keep coming back to, whether it's through parenting or even like AEA support or education support, working with kids is like, do we have the supports in place to help kids know how to do this? And adults, I, not just a kid thing, but like in adults, because it's like, I read this and I'm going, yeah, mm -hmm. I feel mentally strong enough that I feel my stuff working 
But if you don't have like the stamina to even do that, like how do you get started in this? You know, where that Tetris effect could be that domino towards mm-hmm. very easily seeing the negative, you know, or you know, or those types of things. And so it's one of those things that it's almost like a catch twenty two. Like I know it works because I'm experiencing it myself, mm-hmm. but I'm also experiencing my daughter not being able to get beyond yeah. The negative side, and I, and it's not because I think she she doesn't want she doesn't want to do that, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's like an interesting experiment, you know, in my own life when, when I was going back and prepping for this show about this whole idea of of, of the Tetris effect. I think too, as a teacher, um, I was one that didn't eat lunch in the teachers' lounge mm. because I would fall into that cynicism and that negative talk about students, and then you know that just makes you feel icky as you go back into the classroom and. It's just about changing your focus, and um, I just felt when, even though I was alone usually in my classroom prepping or whatever, I was able to just separate and relax and and put my mind on more positive things or, or my students that were coming in next. So I think this really speaks to two things. One, um, being the social-emotional learning competencies. Like, you both have the self-awareness to understand and to recognize certain behaviors or thought patterns that you want to disrupt, right? right. Um, the other thing is is that you, you're both able to make responsible decisions, and which is another social-emotional learning competency. And so we have the ability to do that as adults because we have a developed frontal cortex, right? Like we have executive functioning. Um, and when we think about kids and we think about teenagers um, in particular, you know, if your daughter is experiencing this idea of a threat around her, she's just downloaded into her hindbrain. Like she's kind of in a survival mode. But what I think is really the second point I wanted to, to kind of surface here is on page 95, our author says, we see what we look for and we miss the rest. Mm-hmm. It's this idea mm-hmm. of how do we disrupt this thinking pattern, right? Because if that's all we're thinking about is the negative stuff, of course we're training our brain to look for it. Um, so they talk about this experiment, kind of like this red, this red experiment, but he talks about the experiment of on a basketball court, they have a gorilla run through, right? Um, and <laughs> um, th- there's a video that's actually being recorded. And you know they're just asking the kid, the, the people to look at uh, a certain thing and to focus in on this one thing. And like nobody sees this giant gorilla run through, right? Yeah. And they talk, they call this inattentional blindness we have inattention to something so we're blind to it right we're not being called to it um and again it just reiterates that idea that our frequent inability to see what is often right in front of us if we're not directly focusing on it so when we think about gratitude like what resources do we have for that my husband started doing the uh, the miracle morning which was just you know a way to start your day in the way you want it to start Um, Part of it is meditation. Part of it is doing some journaling on your gratitude. Um, Part of that is also doing some movement, um, exercise, whatever that means to you. And he found that to be extremely powerful for him. Um, I got the five-minute gratitude journal. Um, Actually, a functional wellness physician recommended I do that because there is such a strong tie to the mind-body, right? So you start your morning off before you get out of bed thinking, okay, what are three things I'm grateful for, right? Um, and there's, it's a page a day, and there's some other prompts on there, but I think there are some tools if we know what's, what it is 
that people can be self-reflective about it and not have to be, you know, right. social and talk about I it. I think that's the key. The thing is to be intentional about finding what works for you. And so that five, I, I've used the five-minute journal myself the last two years, and actually it's what I've given my daughter here just a couple weeks ago. Hey, this used to work for me. See if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've moved to a different – I'm doing bullet journaling because um, I'm fascinated by the whole world, but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> for another day. And so that's where mine is. You know, and for me, like every month now, I've been, I've been trying to figure out what works. And so mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure out meditation. And I, I'm learning it's just – not my thing. I tried like three apps and they're off my phone, but I'm finding other things that are working. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, if nothing else, it's if, if you do want to change your perception, you have to be active in trying to find what works because there are tons of things out there that work for people. It's just what works for you, you know? So like for me, the five minute journal was no longer working, but I've been using it for a while. I just needed a, a even though I'm doing the, pretty much the exact same thing in a, a notebook that looks different, but it's the same purpose, same you outcome, know, but it doesn't yeah. matter for my right now. It's it, it, it's definitely working, and so mm-hmm. um, I think that that's something you know. And as we as we segue to principle four, because I think the, the conversation just I think actually bleeds to you know some of the stuff that I was sharing too. This whole idea of falling up, which is the fourth principle in the book, you know, where it says in the midst of defeat, stress, crisis, our brains map different paths to help us cope. And, and this principle is about finding the mental path that not only leads us up out of failure or suffering, but teaches us to be happier and more successful because of it. And so I think, you know, as we talked at the beginning, these do kind of have like a natural domino effect, this Tetris effect as we want to, whatever we put our focus on, whether it's that gorilla video, which we'll link in the show notes, or there's anybody who watches the Carbonero Effect show, which is an amazing show of magic. You haven't seen that. He does the same thing where he's at like a Comic-Con, and he asks someone to hold this prop, and he's in one complete full like Comic-Con cosplay outfit and as they're holding the sign he right behind a, a person walks in between with a prop on purpose and he changes his outfit to hold it and they never notice so it's the same thing as yeah. a gorilla effect and yeah. and it's just because they're so focused on holding the prop that they completely mm-hmm. realize he went from like a like a han solo to you know <laughs> to like a, a leopard or whatever it is they have and it's just like how do they not notice you know yeah. and so it's like he's completely playing on you know, the brain and so you know as we think about that falling up and kind of building off of that of that third principle in this one you know what were things that that, that resonated with you guys you think about falling up I mean it's easy to, to fall down um, mm-hmm. you know and what, how we want to use that but what were things that built off that Tetris what are things that kind of came with with this next principle as you were thinking about your practices your life and and, and, and the reading in general well, you, you mentioned those three paths, and so the first path, well, so these paths basically say that there's a mental map that we basically have when we um, come up, uh, up to a crisis or adversity. So one of those paths is that you keep circling around where you currently are. So like there's no growth, right? You just circle around the negative, right? The next one can lead you toward further negative consequences. Uh, whatever that means for you, right? You could get pulled into a deeper, dark hole of negative thinking. It could affect your relationships with others because it's, you know, interfering with your interpersonal life. And then the third path is the one that leads us from failure or setback to a place where we're even stronger and more capable than before the fall. And so that's just really interesting to me because, again, it gives voice to, I think, you know, people are wired or they have trained themselves to fall back to a certain response. Like I generally fall into that very first path. Like I just perseverate on the event or the thing and I I can't get past it um, unless I do something purposeful to try to reframe the thing so that I can actually say, okay, now we're going to fall up. Now we're going to move on and we're going to, and we're going to move forward. But I think part of it is just being cognizant that like, this is, this is 
real. It's normal. This is, you know, how people respond as humans. And then how do we support people to, to move on from that? And I mean, that's life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can think of this tiniest thing to the biggest thing that's happened to me. And if I would have continued to fall down, I wouldn't be where I am. So mm-hmm. um, he talks about um, if we conceive of a fall as the worst thing in the world, it becomes just that. But if you can move forward because of what setbacks you've had, then you're even more able to to grow and become better. Um, I think about all the broken bones I've had in my life. Lisa, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I mean, seriously, I didn't yeah. walk for almost a year. Like, yep. And I think every time I break a bone, I'm like, okay, there's the world telling me to slow down again. Mm-hmm. I need to pay more attention to what's around me. Not, you know, not try to be try try to reach a goal or be better. It's just about being here now and being comfortable in this happiness. Mm-hmm. So as you were talking about that, it made me think of this word like counterfact, right? Like for anything that happens to us, we might root our thinking in a fact, right? But there's always a counter truth to whatever that is. And so what you just spoke to, Rachel, I think is this idea of like, I'm going to give a counterfact. Yes, I broke my, my ankle and I can't walk for six months. <laughs> like, And the counter to that is, okay, great. Like now I get to do a little bit more self-care. I'm going to listen to the universe say, slow down and take care of yourself. And I think, you know, my mom broke her ankle and it was really hard for her to do that. All she could see was the things she couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, um, I think, be supports for people to reframe the situation or to reframe the thing and, and think about what growth can come from this experience. I think too it comes with experience to be able to do this more readily and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about kids specifically right now with trauma and you know how do you talk a kid out of that their bad situation isn't as bad as it is because they're in it so um, you know just even thinking about how the how we can help their brains and again going back to the brain um, you know build build that pathway through that tall grass for them at this moment. Mm -hmm. I mean it just keeps coming back to like that idea like and I think it does at some point come down to ownership of our thoughts coming back to like we have the power to make choices and like I try to think like where did that light bulb moment happen for me and I would like to be able to be like oh yeah I was seven years old but like I think it's through failing or having things that I perceived as failure or setbacks happen so often at some point you go all right, you know, I, I have to either, I can sit here and mope about every single time something goes wrong right. or do mm-hmm. something with it. And so, you know, and I'm sure I had tons of supports and nudges and all those things along the way, but, like, I don't think that really happened to, like, more of my adult life. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean when we think about kids, we just go, oh, just wait it out for 20 years. But, like, this idea <laughs> of, like, you know, like, I think you have to, like, go through a journey mm-hmm. and you just hope that the setback isn't, so severe that you can't rebound from like that's like you know like mm-hmm. it's just like how do you like where does that moment happen mm-hmm. you know and I think the hardest part for people is you have to take that accountability which none of us really really like to do you yeah. know to take the accountability of okay this is life what am I going to do like this is on me mm-hmm. you know because um, it is so much easier just to point the finger and blame or whatever it might be you know and so that's what I keep trying to think through is like how do you you can't you can't fake that process. Mm-hmm. I can't re- create a template and be like, here, let's just fill this graphic organizer. And in the end, you're going to magically yeah. overcome all things. You know, yeah. like you have to like, there's a journey within there. Yeah. You know? Some people figure it out and some don't. And I just like, but the ones that did figure it out, like how did that happen? What happened? You know, yeah. they said, 
I'm in control now. Yeah. So when you were talking, um, you said like, at what point does that happen? And then you said the word journey. And I, I do think it is like a journey. Um, the idea of turning adversity into an opportunity, you know, I think for some people is super easy. Some people are just like born sunshine, right? And some people like it is super duper hard. Um, but in this particular principle, it's on page 125, um, we see this idea of how to practice the ABCD model of interpretation. And Rachel mentioned the word trauma before, and it's really about how people are interpreting an event. What could be traumatic to me may not be traumatic to either one of you, and it's based on my perception or my interpretation. And so we get this kind of ABCD um, acronym to think about how can we start um, disrupting our current way of thinking around adversity. And so the A stands for adversity, which is an event we cannot change. B is our belief, um, um, which really impacts our reaction to the event. So our belief systems around things, which pretty much are invisible and are an accumulation of all the things that have happened to us into our, up until this point in our lives. Um, you know, that is how we react to the event. Why, and it frames our thinking. Why did this happen to me? You know, what, what's going to happen next? How is this going to impact my future? Is this permanent or is it temporary? Um, C is the idea of a consequence. And so this becomes the result of our belief. And so this kind of hits to me on the idea of like, we actually do have control over the consequence of the adversity to some degree, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, how are we going to frame this event so that we can grow from it? Or are we going to just allow ourselves to just wallow in it? And then that D is to dispute it, right? So it's disputation. When we head to the negative, we have to tell ourselves that our beliefs are not facts, right? right. Um, and how then do we try to get ourselves to adopt a new mindset? And again, I think this is way easier for some people than it is for others. And I think people who are really introverted and aren't you know, necessarily social or have a group of, of people to lean on, that's probably harder to get out of, you know, that yeah. negative um, that negative thinking. I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, I have a couple people like that in my life who never get to the D. I mean, you guys are shaking your head like, yeah, for sure. So it's like, but that's the, obviously, that's where change is. And change is hard, especially when you're in a tough situation because it's inner. You have to do it. It's not something exterior. And so, I mean, I think about my aunt who was divorced 25 years ago and has never, ever, ever had even just a small relationship with another person again, mm -hmm. you know? And she's like, all the men in my life have always been this harmful to me. And like, really? Because that's probably your choice right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or that's where your mind is going. Like you're only looking, you're overgeneralizing right, right. and you're looking mm -hmm. only for the people who have done you wrong instead of being, able, well, you know what? This person actually has treated me well and has mm -hmm. helped me grow my confidence. It's hard to, to put on a different colored glass. Yep when you're looking at that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, this chapter, I mean, the ABCD model resonated when I when I work with teachers around making and just getting adults mm -hmm. to remember, like, the, the joys of play and the learning that goes with play. I always have a slide that I've put in for years but never thought of it through this lens until this book, but I always tell people, like, this slide reads, um, reality is a perception of truth. And, or, I'm sorry, I said that way wrong. Perception is a reality of truth. And so this idea, like, if I sit here and think every kid in my class is not capable of doing this, mm -hmm. 
you're 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 going to prove that 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 mm-hmm. mantra. Or I can't do building with Lego. I can't do computer. I can't fill in the blank. Yeah. You're going to fulfill that. I I was listening to uh, uh, I've been trying to expand my my podcast listening. So I've I've started listening to Oprah. Um, <laughs> and the, she replayed an, uh, an interview with Joe Olstein. Uh, and I'm not overly religious person, but he has a whole thing, a whole sermon called I Am. And what follows I am will be your future self. Mm. And so he's like, if you want to know what you're gonna, what your life's gonna be like in five years, write out I am, and what, mm. however you finish that, that's what's gonna be there. And I just keep coming back to that, like, okay. So if we work with teachers and adults and and parents and our own kids, it's like, how do we kind of change that narrative, mm. right, to, to get those things moving? Um, and it does layer in this A B C D. I don't want to get away from it because I think. It's really easy to overlook some of these steps, but the next principle of that Zoral circle, I think, is a natural progression. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, to be able to, if you don't know how to take ownership or how to take that first step, the mm-hmm. Zoral circle, I think, feeds right right into that. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's like let's get away from the ABC principle, but I think it, it builds into it. And the, mm-hmm. and for those that haven't read the book, the Zoral circle just states that when challenges loom and we get overwhelmed, our rational brains can get hijacked by emotions. This principle teaches us how to regain control by focusing first on small manageable goals then gradually expanding our circle to achieve bigger ones and so it feeds into something I think we've probably all said in present like it's all about baby steps like mm-hmm. let's just take it take it I just said that yesterday in a workshop it's a baby step we're not solving all the world's problems right now and mm-hmm. so um, you know as we think about the ABCD model um, the Zorro effect and the others like how have you guys started whether you through the reading and through your life started to piece these things together like how has it gelled you know, in your work and, and, and as you see adults and, and, and teachers and things like that? Well, I think as a, as a consultant or as a coach, it's easier to help people get to their Zorro circle mm-hmm. because you can prioritize better for them than they probably can at the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, let's take a step back, look at all the things, and what is something you can accomplish real easy and real quick? to get that off your plate and then move into, you know, it's just, it's not a checklist because it'll always continue, but it's just, it's about helping them um, work through their vast amount of things to get to that ultimate reality for them. And not to put you on the spot, but like, I'm curious, so why do you think it's, it's easy for you to help those people? So as we think about making those next steps, even though I think it's it's the right way. Uh, it can still be hard for people. So, what is it about whether? I mean, in our role as consultants, but anybody listening, it's whatever your role is in any interaction with another human being. Like, mm-hmm. what allows, say, you yeah. for what what allows that to be easier for you to help people make that step? Like, what do you think that is? Because I think there you're you're getting onto something that I think is is huge for any of us to try to you know increase our overall well-being. Yeah, so um, I think about when I'm in the middle of something or I feel overwhelmed, it's my emotions come into play and I can't rationalize, you know, or even look at what's realistic at that time. So um, having um, that's that step back and being like a person to, to bounce things off of, and this is getting into another principle where social interactions are super important in, in making us happy. I think it's because we help each other work through those things and find what's what's you know going to make us happy or be the 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 most logical next step for us to reach that. Yeah, I think another thing too to kind of stick in this coaching or consultant role is 
some of the people that we coach or interact with, like they just haven't had the opportunity to experience some of the things um, that we have based on our role. And they might not yet have the knowledge that we have. And so when you're in those coaching interactions, um, you know, we've also had some really great training on, mm-hmm. on how to coach people to, to self-identify something, like find the tree through the forest. And so I think that that is really helpful mm-hmm. to help people say, okay, here's all the things. Okay, so which ones are in your control, which ones aren't? Right. Okay, these ones are in your control. Which one do you feel like you're close to achieving? Right. Let's start there. What does that look like? What does it sound like? What resources do you need? You know, so I think once people have that feeling of control, and that's coupled with some knowledge, then their motivation moves forward a little bit and, and we're able to gain some ground on that. I um, think even when someone else kind of processes something for you, mm-hmm. you're able to step back out of yourself yeah. and be like, oh, they're talking about me right now, but it sounds so simple, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it, it's kind of like the backwards, like you can't see the forest through the trees, mm-hmm. right? When you're in that situation, um, particularly in a classroom with all the things that our classroom right. teachers are are doing, like just it's amazing. Um, you can't see those things, you know. Yeah. And so I do think that that idea of social interaction, peer coaching, having people who can help you grow your practice is is really powerful. Yeah. So I want to introduce principle seven. We're going to come back to principle six because we're already yeah. kind of talking about principle seven. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it feeds into exactly what we're talking about because we keep adding from this idea of like this support network. And, and so principle seven is, is that social investment that when we're in, in the midst of a challenge or stress, some people choose to hunker down. You can retreat inward, but research and, and whether you're reading this book or I mean, it seems like every day on, on Facebook or my social media, there's something about the power of networking. So it's, it's in our faces all the time. But the principle talks about the greatest predictors of success and excellence is our social support network. And so as we're talking about that, um, Rachel, when you were talking about, you know, whether it's a consultant, but I'm thinking about even like like parent support groups or, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it might be is it's, it's a two-layered emotional investment. Like you're able to help the teachers because you're not emotionally invested in and what they're in the moment of but you're but you're very much emotionally invested in them as a person you know so we're able to we kind of have this like non-biased perspective you know like I'm not I think about yesterday I had a workshop and the feedback lots of great feedback but there was one line that just it, it mm-hmm. just chat my ass I'll make sure I let people know if you got kids in the car not to you know it's coming but uh, <laughs> but like I, I just kept thinking like why like why am I stuck on that right so now I'm looking at like that Tetris effect I'm yeah. looking at all these things I'm like I have got 30 great things and I got this one little zinger that just I can't I can't see you know my wife's just like you know had to like talk me through that and I'm, you know initially I'm like oh you're my wife you're gonna say the nice things but it's like <laughs> but you get it too because she's a teacher and it's like sometimes I just need someone to like kind of smack me in the face and be like wake up like mm-hmm. let's just look at the the pro and con list like it was fine, you know, and so it's just all those, and you're talking about that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we got to have these social support networks, whether it's a professional network, a personal network, mm-hmm. you know, your, your church group or your, this weekend we got youth sports, you know, and there's a whole different family dynamic support system, you know, but we need that in order to be able, you know, to, to get out of those times when we, we feel challenged or stressed or, or we're dealing with, with definitely with some setbacks that we all face from time to time. Um, I just have to speak to this principle as an educator, um, you know, as a classroom teacher, I feel like I was successful only because I had social investment mm-hmm. in my classroom and with it, every student. Um, and I would hope and I'd know 
amongst students as well. And, and if I wouldn't have built that, I don't know that I would have been as a su successful with getting to the academics. Because putting aside an hour a day, sometimes at the beginning of the year, mm -hmm. to really help that build that community in the classroom and trust for sure and just... I mean, it gave the students ownership, and it, it made them feel like, you know, I cared about them, and, and happiness grew, you know? <laughs> I mean, it really kind of feeds into this idea of culture. Now, now we're kind of getting into this bigger system, you know? It's all about, like, having a good culture, you know? And, I, and that's what I keep coming back to. One of the things I was processing this book was, like, these seven principles are like really the key ingredients to a positive culture of growth. Whether we're thinking of a building, whether yeah. you're thinking about family, uh, mm -hmm. whether you're thinking about your friend network, it's, it's who you surround yourself with and what you're choosing to collectively focus your energy on. And I think, you know, it comes back to this, you know, all this book to me, this feels like a, a mind map of all these other books and things I've read. Like it all feeds in, um, you know, into this like no matter what lens we do, whatever role we have in our lives, like it's all about having the support and the steps and a system to help us make these things happen. Um, you know, as, as we keep talking about these principles, you know, it's, it's taking action for, our, for ourselves and having people to help us be accountable. So when you were talking about that idea of culture um, in, in an organization, it's really interesting because this book does really talk about how we need our social investments, our social capital, our colleagues, to help us when we experience periods of stress, right? Because our brain will just downshift into going back into being a jerk. Like the the fifth principle, it has, talks about our brain and how we can be the thinker. And when we are downloaded or overloaded and whatever, then we become our brain becomes the jerk, right? And so we need social capital and investment and collegiality so that, first of all, people have someone as a support to go to to talk about the stresses and problem solve. Not just to dump the thinking or dump the feelings or talk about the thing, you know, the negative feedback that you got, but also as someone to ground you and think forward. And do they become the people who dispute your thinking and offer counterfacts to you, right? Um, because we all know when we are connected at work, we're happier and we're more productive, right? So what's interesting is when push comes to shove and, you know, work piles up, stresses pile up, the social investment is generally the first thing that goes, mm -hmm. right? And so I just think it's really interesting that some companies, as this book calls out, they will invest more in their people when the economy goes bad or when there's like a big hit that hits the organization because they know that that is is crucial to the survival of the organization um, and some companies will just pull away from that because they're so focused on the dollar the bottom line the tangible things that get reported out and so um, I just kind of wanted to surface that well it's interesting too and I can't remember if it was in this book and if it, if it is then I'll have to go back and find the book that I was reading it from um, but as you were talking about businesses, it was talking, I was reading uh, about the idea that if you, if you actually have a, a positive culture, um, you actually, as a leader, um, you're, you're okay with the, the quote-unquote like water cooler talk. You're okay, yeah. I guess, in the school with the cafeteria because those are going to strengthen the bonds and you know but at the same time if you have a toxic culture those same areas could actually deplete you know yeah. and i think you know we've all probably been in those situations where you know like you avoid the the, the teacher's line that type of thing but if you have these pieces in place 
that's actually where like the company or the or the system will thrive yeah. because you do need time to decompress you do need time to talk you do need the time to interact mm-hmm. it isn't necessarily like work related of, of an initiative or a, a demand that must be met mm-hmm. and so to me that was like I never thought of it that way usually everything you read and, and experience and videos you watch is always like avoid 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 and I'm like but actually if done right you want to be there I mean you still got your work done but you know that that piece you know that support could be, a, you know, I guess it's falling up or, 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 or falling down, really. Mm-hmm. So as we think about this, and I, I want to make sure we, we don't overlook principle six, the 22nd rule, because I think as we come full circle to all these principles, whether it's the, the two we talked in the previous podcast or, or this one here, this 22nd rule is all about we only have so much willpower. Um, and, and the principle shows that by making small energy adjustments, we can reroute the path of least resistance and replace the bad habits with good ones. Um, and so as we think about that, because I think, Lisa, you said something really important. Um, when we get overwhelmed, when we have a large to-do list, we, we naturally invert towards ourselves and we forget about the social network. We think, I just got to get this done. Yeah. And we do this all the time. And so how do you keep that from happening? I think it's you kind of have to trim the fat. You have to kind of look at your life and what are the things I can get rid of uh, whether it's physical, you know, mental, uh, spiritual, whatever it might be, so that you can focus on those things, you know. And, and to me, I couldn't help this whole principle felt like the minimalist lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where I'm going because that's where I'm trying to get to. And, uh, like, even for me, since the last podcast, this principle, I have two huge bookshelves of books. I've already got rid of, like, thousands of books already. <laughs> and I'm trying to get them all completely out. Uh-huh. The only thing I'm going to have is, like, one shelf on my wall of, like, the the ones that will never leave, mm-hmm. you know, and just like this idea of clutter. Like I've got 500 books and I haven't read 400 of them and they've been sitting there for three years. And so some people will be like, oh, but you never get rid of books. And I'm like, but, but it's also every time I walk into my office, I see 400 to-do list items, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I don't know, anyone who reads like Wait But Why with Tim Urban, but like where I'm at in my life, um, Systemically speaking, I'm only going to have enough time on earth to read like 300 more books. Mm-hmm. So like I actually won't live long enough to read all those books. So I have to either sell, get rid of, whatever. And so I just I keep thinking about how do we get rid of the things that aren't going to help us move forward and making a small step in the, yeah. the Zorro effect. Make sure I'm falling up and not falling down. Mm-hmm. Making sure my networks are supporting me. Um, you know, and so I think, and I'll get off my, my soapbox here, that knowing all the principles after finishing the book... Principle six is where you start. What do we look to get rid of so I have the willpower to actually start to do the other principles? So it's just my own perspective. So that's interesting because as you were talking, I found this this portion in the book. It's on page 142, which is part of the Zorro effect. But it says the things of our lives have gained control over the functionality of our lives and our productivity productivity suffers as a result. So one of the examples in principle six, which is the 22nd rule, is like taking the um, the batteries out of your remote, right? So that so that you don't actually start, uh, you know, reiterating a routine of sitting down on the couch and watching, you know, the news or, you know, binge watching a show. And instead you put your sneakers by the... Um, by the couch instead. So you go to turn on the remote, the batteries aren't in there, you see your shoes, okay. So that saves you from being like, okay, I can't watch TV, I might as well get on the treadmill, but my shoes are upstairs, so I'm not actually (laughs) gonna go upstairs and grab my shoes, right? But like, so saving those, you know, just hijacking that one minute actually can put you on the path of becoming more productive, right? 
Um, but as you were talking about the minimalist lifestyle, just that idea of like the things of our lives totally have gained control. At least for me, I know that's true. And so the Zorro circle, right? So what do I actually get tight control over? Um, is it how I spend my free time when I'm not at work? Mm. You know, that example of the watching TV or, or exercising. So I think people have to, first of all, have the self-awareness to do it and then uh, be able to make a decision and make a plan. Yeah, this principle also talks about habits and how humans are habitual and we don't even realize the things that we are doing that are so ingrained in our daily practice. Um, and it's about, like what Lisa said, giving you that leverage to make a different choice when it's not something that's in your habit. Um, so I think about you know all the things we do for convenience and that's probably why we have more things <laughs> to help us do it faster, quicker, better, whatever. Um, because, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to go shoot my food. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go buy it. I can buy it uncooked and then cook it myself. Or, you know, I could go get it cooked for me. So it's just even more about like, how are we um, wiring our brain? Here I come, go yes. again to make things so much easier for us, but in the end, it's harder for us to get back to where it, where it really makes us happy. Yeah, so there is a section of this principle called the path of least resistance, which I think we're really kind of hitting on. So this idea is that we are drawn to the path of least resistance, to things that are easy, convenient, and habitual, and it is incredibly difficult to overcome this inertia. And so part of that is behavioral, but part of it's neurological too. Like, we are firing our synapses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we get an input, uh, neurotransmitters are released, they go to a dendrite, and then that's myelinated over and over and over and over and over again. And so when you hijack that, like, you don't, you don't want to hijack that because it's comfortable, it feels good. Even if it's bad for you, it's comfortable and it feels good. Chemicals are released from your brain. Yeah, like you, yeah. And so it's just really interesting that, you know, there is neurology to back this idea of it is hard to hijack our habits. So how do we find shortcuts, not only in our lives, but ways that we can actually shortcut that myelination right. so that we can start new healthier habits or changing something that that we want to change and he calls that activation energy mm -hmm. um, which is an initial spark needed to catalyze a reaction so what is the spark we need to actually make the change right yeah and I think a lot of this too is we for me as you guys are talking two things pop into my head one Rachel you're talking about you know we have all these things to make our lives easier um, and I talk a lot about this with tech and, and, and the computer science on, on, on why we need to be, be cognizant of this. But like, think about we have a dishwasher, um, we have robot vacuum cleaners, we have a refrigerator, we have all these things, and yet people are more burdened than ever before. Mm -hmm. So um, media knows how to derail our brains. Like they, Media knows the brains better than ourselves, and if we're not careful, that's why we're a product and not a person anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so... This stuff that we're talking about, people know the gateway to making it work because we're manipulated by it every day. And so what are we doing to empower ourselves to turn around and make our lives better? Because we're falling prey to it on a daily basis. We're all, you know, um, I also had a laugh too as, as you're talking about the remote controls and the batteries. And um, wow, this content is, is so important, made more important today than 10 years ago when it was written. But like, 
I don't have too many remote controls. I have Alexa. I talk to my TV. So I don't know, like, you know what I mean? So, so uh, I, I'm going to... have And she's always yeah, listening. Yeah, I'm going I'm to hit them up and be like, well, how do I control that? I mean, the answer is go have Alexa in your house, which is maybe a whole <laughs> other privacy off. podcast. Turn but, it yeah. off. But I think the, you know, the big thing here that I want to I want to wrap up with, make it, so you guys can kind of be thinking about your answer to this too, is like our, our biggest takeaway or next steps. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's all about... It can't, these things can't be one more thing. So we have to learn to say no. So as we're talking about, I'm talking about decluttering my house of physical things. I'm also thinking about, I've been really intentional this year of trying to declutter um, my work schedule and learning on how to have a backbone to say no. Um, I know I brought that up in the last podcast, but it's, it, is, it is a grueling grind um, to say no. It like makes me sweaty, gives me stomach aches, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm going to go tell somebody, no, I, I'm, I can't do that right now. Um, because you feel like a failure, I believe in it, but I can't do it. But then once I do that, then I get to see like how much more my work's improved with the things I've said mm-hmm. yes to, it's paying off. Um, and I think it comes back to a lot with what you were saying, right? Like we get this burden, we get this to-do list of all these things, and then we go inward, but we put ourselves in a position where that to-do list happened, yeah. you know? And I know saying no to things, we can't always do that. I, I understand that, but I think we have more power to say no than what we give ourselves permission to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we think about that, to me, that's my biggest thing for me with this book is, you know, those baby steps, but continue to learn on, like, what's going to help me be the best version of myself professionally and personally because if I ignore either one of those, both, both realms are impacted, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's really hard. Mm-hmm. People exercise, eat healthy, but then they go and they work 20 hours. And it... You know, or you, you love what you do, you do all the work, but then, you know, you, you eat like crap and whatever. I mean, you have to, have, there's no balance, but I think you have to be more intentional in those things. So, um. so I guess in closure, when you were talking, it made me really think about this is self-care. It's taking care of yourself. And it benefits the people around you, but it benefits you the most. Yeah. And as you were talking about decluttering your work schedule, the word boundaries just kept coming back into my head and I'm the worst boundary setter, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not just about setting boundaries at work. Mm-hmm. It's about setting boundaries with friends, with family, uh, even with yourself. Like what, what will I accept and what won't I accept? What am I comfortable with? What am I not comfortable with? And how do I voice that um, and assert for myself in, in service of self-care so you can be the best person that you can be, right? Um, so yeah, I make that connection too. It's it's really about it's not just about happiness. It's it's self care. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I would just say, um, you know, I think we said at the beginning of the first podcast that it's not about just being a positive person either. Mm-hmm. And um, and we even referred back to those people that always seem so positive and and happy. But what is our happiness? What is what's happy to us at this point? And and um, just being open to always be willing to change and know that the, um, the capacity of our, our actual human brain is there and is malleable and um, it's in the research. Yeah, I mean, and not to uh, quote Oprah podcast again, but <laughs> on my uh, drive here, really, really uh, strengthening my man card here on the show. But uh, she, it, it was with Amy Schumer. And I'll, make sure, I'll link all this in the show notes, but Amy Schumer was talking about you know, how society demands that females are always 
smiley, bubbly, happy at all times. You know what I mean? Like, there's this demand. Like, as a mother, you should, you know, clean poopy diapers with a smile. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're sick, but you're still, you know, and she was just talking about, like, it's not, like, you. that's not attainable. And you have to learn to be comfortable with the ebbs and flow mm-hmm. of, of how we feel and, and all these emotions. So okay. definitely one worth listening to, but I think you hit on something something spot on there. And so I want to thank you guys for taking time to chat with me again. Um, you know, I, I definitely as people are listening in, I hope you take time to read the book. Um, and, and the challenge for every listener and even for ourselves is this is a book that I, I, I truly honestly believe that you don't you can't just read it. You have to read it and then think about what are your next steps going to be. And so as you take on that journey and read and you're finding success or tips and tricks, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out, let us know. And who knows, maybe a month or two months from now, we get enough people interested. We could do a follow-up or just in terms of, of, of the impact of the book. Like, have we actually applied it? Because we can talk about this. And even when I'm talking, I'm listening to Rachel and Lisa talk. I'm like, yeah, I should do that. I should do that. You know, but now the challenge comes back to me. Like, are you going to do it? You know, and if I'm going to do it, then I have to say no to something. For me, something it can't be one more. Something has to go. And so, uh, I thank you guys for uh, opening up, being honest and vulnerable, and uh, joining me on the on the show again. Thanks, Thanks Darren. Darren.